If you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 13, where you will find the text printed in your bulletin, the bulletin insert. As I'm sure you're probably aware, today is the last Sunday of the year, and next Saturday is New Year's Day, so next Sunday will be the first Sunday in 2022. And I was thinking and praying on what the Lord would have for us here at the end of the year. I just couldn't help but get away from the fact that this year has been hard. It's been a challenging one for so many. We've endured the tragic loss of four people that we love so much. We've watched one of our young people endure a spinal cord injury. We've seen cancer diagnoses. We've buried members who've died from COVID and other diseases. And on and on we could go. What should we do? How do we move forward? Psalm 13 is one of the many laments found in the book of Psalms. And we'll talk about more about laments in just a minute. But my experience is that in the church today, we have lost the idea of what it means to lament. And that's why I've entitled this sermon, The Lost Art of Lament. And my prayer is as we walk through this psalm, it will give voice to your emotions and your struggles and your grief, and it will help you to have hope. With that in mind, let's turn our attention to the reading of God's Word, Psalm 13. But before I read this text, let me pray and ask for the Lord's help. Gracious God, you've told us that your Word is living and active sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of joint and marrow of soul and spirit and discerning the intentions of the heart. Lord, would you sanctify us in the truth, for your word is truth. Speak, Lord, for your servants listen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's word, Psalm 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. In 1731, a man by the name of William Cooper, spelled C-O-W-P-E-R, Cooper, was born in Hertfordshire, England. At the age of six, his mother tragically passed away. By the time he was a young adult, he showed signs of mental illness that would plague him the rest of his life. His family had connections, though, and so he was put up for two posts in the government, in the House of Lords. Yet the stress of the examinations for those positions weighed on him so much that he actually attempted suicide and was put in an insane asylum for 18 months. 
The rest of his life, he struggled with depression, despondency, and other mental health issues until he died at a very young age. For many today, this kind of seems like par for the course. Life is hard. Trials of various kinds come our way often, and they often do so without warning. A loved one passes. The tumor is malignant. A child or grandchild wanders away from the Lord. We know that these trials are part of life in a broken, fallen, sinful world. I mean, James tells us in James 1 verse 3, the trials will come our way. But knowing that suffering will come doesn't necessarily help, especially when it comes. We need more. And Psalm 13 helps us with that. Now, we don't know the precise context of David's life that serves as the backdrop for this psalm. Many think that David was on the run from King Saul after David had been told that he would be king. Remember, Saul did not like David. And that's definitely a possible context. The scripture doesn't tell us. Others believe that this is later in David's life when he's fleeing from his son Absalom. In 2 Samuel 15, we read about how Absalom conspired against his father and actually forced David to flee Jerusalem. And I tend to think that is what's going on in the life of David as he writes this psalm of lament. We can't be certain, but it's definitely a strong possibility. In the midst of our grief, we need some way to move forward. We need a course of action. And that's where lament comes in. As I mentioned earlier, the book of Psalms is full of laments. Yet we often struggle to pray this way. Many think of Christianity as life with rose-colored glasses and sweet peace in the by and by. But that's not real life. Life is hard. And that's where lament comes in, in a very helpful way. What exactly is a lament? Well, Mark Rogoff, who is an author and pastor, defines it this way. He says, lament is a form of prayer. It is more than just the expression of sorrow or the venting of emotion. Lament talks to God about pain, and it has a unique purpose, trust. It is a divinely given invitation to pour out our fears, frustrations, and sorrows for the purpose of helping us renew our confidence in God, end quote. In the midst of our suffering and sorrow, our natural tendency is to cry. And there's nothing wrong with that. David says in Psalm 6, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with my tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. Tears are normal, but we don't just simply want to cry. We want to cry out to God. And we want those cries to give us hope. And that's what lament is all about. And that's what we see here in Psalm 13. There are four steps to lament that David shows us here in this psalm. And these four steps actually come from a book by that guy I mentioned just a minute ago, Mark Rogoff, entitled Dark, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Highly recommend it to you. If you're looking for something to read on grief, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Rogoff. And so that's going to be our structure for our sermon as we walk through this 
psalm, but I did want to mention that to give credit where credit is due. So the first step of lament is turn. Turn to God in prayer. Now this may seem obvious. Of course we turn to God. But trust me, it's not obvious. David begins this psalm, How long, O Lord? We mustn't overlook the fact that he's crying out to the Lord, his God. His words aren't to the universe or to a friend or they're not a social media rant. No, this is directed to a person. And that person is the Lord God Almighty. How often is it that in the midst of our grief and suffering, we tend to turn to anyone and everything except the Lord? Sometimes we turn to a spouse. We just want somebody to talk to. Or to a friend. We pick up the phone and say, listen. That's not necessarily bad. Sometimes we turn to numbing ourselves. We can do that through various means. We could binge watch shows on Netflix. We could work 70 hours a week. We could stare at pornography on the internet. Or we could drown our sorrows in alcohol or drugs. If we're honest, and we must be, sometimes turning to God is the last thing on our mind. We can't imagine crying out to Him. After all, if He really is sovereign, then why didn't He stop these circumstances from happening in the first place? Or maybe you're tempted to think something like this. I tried that before, John. I cried out to God, and it didn't work. So why would I do that again? Friends, sometimes the hardest thing to do is to admit that we need help. And turning to God in prayer is an admission of needing help. But let me assure you, it's the best thing you can do in the midst of your sorrow and grief is to turn to the Lord and to keep on turning to Him. In Psalm 77, the psalmist declares, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. So I ask you, are you turning to God in prayer? Are you continuing to turn to Him? If so, I beg you to keep doing that. Don't grow weary of prayer. And if you're not doing that, start. Don't let your past failures prevent you from changing and to begin to pray. Prayer is active. It's active waiting, but it is active. We are doing something. Don't believe the lie that it's not doing anything. No, prayer is active. So that's the first step in lament, is to turn, to turn to the Lord. The second step is complain. Now I saw a few heads pick up and look at me, what, really complain? We shouldn't do that. That doesn't sound like something God wants us to do. Well, I'll qualify that by saying we want to complain in a godly manner. But yes, complain. In verses 1 and 2, David complains four times, and they take the form of four questions that begin with how long. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You see, in these questions, David is laying out his complaint to the Lord. We need to be honest about these questions. They're raw. They are emotional to the max. They are tough. 
The great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon went so far as to rebuke David for at least the first question, saying that really wasn't his place. And I think that's a little too far. But we need to recognize these are very bold prayers, very bold questions that most of us are scared to even pray like that. If we look closely, we notice that David faces what one commentator calls a triple trouble, one from God, one from self, and one from enemies. In other words, there's a theological component to this, a psychological component, and a sociological component. Can you relate to that? In the midst of your grief, are there multiple components to what's going on? Maybe for you, it's physical and mental, or it's emotional and social. And on top of those, often there's a theological component as well. In the midst of it all, we can feel that God has abandoned us. Certainly how David feels. Now, we could rebuke David for bad theology, but that's not the point. He has orthodox theology. What he's expressing here is his emotion and his feelings. He knows deep down God is there. He tells us that in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from you? He knows the right answer. But in this moment, he doesn't feel it. He's not experiencing that presence of God. Feels like God has left him high and dry. Can you relate to that? My guess is you can. You know the right truths in your head, but you struggle believing them in your heart. Maybe you've heard it said, but I think it bears repeating. Sometimes the furthest distance is from the head to the heart. We can know the right answers, but struggle believing them in our heart. And I think that's what we see in David, and that's what's often true for all of us in our grief. I'm thankful that these two verses are in the Bible. They offer so much hope. Because we often think that we have to have it all together when we come to God. We think our prayers need to be so eloquent and perfect and sound so good. We think we need to be, look perfect when we come to church and act like we have it all together. But here David shows us that he doesn't have it all together. And his prayers are full of emotion and struggle. He's just crying out to God. I think that's fantastic. I think we would do well to do more of this, to be real with God. God, what are you doing? Where are you? Why is this happening? Not out of anger, but out of genuine concern. Complaints can be questions like we see here, but they can also be just voicing frustration. In Psalm 10, verse 2, we read, An arrogance the wicked hotly pursue the poor. And then down in verse 10, we find God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Those are some strong frustrations about God's seeming lack of care and involvement in what's going on in the life of the poor. The psalmist is frustrated, and he lets God know it. Friends, complaint means bringing our questions and our frustrations to God. Don't worry, he's a big God. He can handle it. It's good for us to get things off of our chest, so to speak. Now, we must be careful. I'm not saying it's good to be angry with God. No, I don't think that that pleases God. But at the same time, we can really struggle and bear that out to the Lord. 
and not just bottle up thinking we've got to have it all together when we pray. We certainly want to come humbly and to speak honestly with the Lord. We also don't want to stop with complaint. That's why this isn't the final step. So many people stop here, they complain against God, and then they're like, all right, God, now what? It doesn't end there. We don't want to wallow in our frustration. And that's where step three comes in for lament. Ask. Ask boldly for God to work. David presses in verses three and four. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Notice that David doesn't stay with complaint. He moves from there to boldly asking God to work. But does anything strike you as a little bit strange about this? Does it seem odd that based on his complaint, he would then ask God to work? You know, it almost seems like insanity. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing multiple times and expecting different results. David has just said that God doesn't hear. He's not acting. And what does he do? He crows on to cry out to God again. You see the logical disconnect of what appears to be that way? Friends, what lament shows us is that this really isn't insanity. There isn't a logical disconnect. Why? Because the Bible teaches that at the same time we can feel one way and yet the opposite be the reality. That's what David is teaching us. Faith calls us to ask God to work even when and especially when it doesn't seem like he is. Now we need to admit this is hard. It's not natural for us to do this, but it's vital. In the midst of our sorrow and grief, we must ask God to do what only he can do. How can David do this? It's because of God's character. He knows that God is a God who hears and answers prayer. He knows God is sovereign and all-powerful. He knows God cares for his people. Therefore, he can move from complaint to asking. Mark Rogoff, in that book I was talking about, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, puts it this way. He says of David, in his deep pain and his sense of abandonment, He anchors his soul to who God is and what he has done. His complaints are not cul-de-sacs of sorrow, but bridges that lead him to God's character. Did you catch that last line? His complaints are not cul-de-sacs of sorrow, but bridges that lead him to God's character. That's powerful. I open the sermon by telling the story of William Cooper. What you might not know is that Cooper wrote many hymns, and one of them is entitled, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. In that hymn, he boldly states, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. I'd encourage you to look that hymn up Read the entirety of its lyrics. In light of Cooper's trials and grief, there's a rich comfort in these words. He really knew the character of God. In Psalm 22, verse 11, David cries out, Be not far from me, 
for trouble is near. There is none to help. In other passages, we find bold requests like, Arise, O Lord, remember your covenant, or restore us. These are all examples of the psalmist boldly asking for God to work in the midst of his suffering and grief. Psalm 13, verse 3, in our text here, David says, Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He's asking for fresh strength and energy, as one commentator put it. It's something to the effect of, Lord, help me get out of bed today. Help me shower. Help me go to work. Help me love my kids. Help me do the normal tasks at hand. Because if we're honest in the midst of our grief, In despair, even the smallest task can seem impossible. It's not bad to pray for things like that. Lord, give me strength. Are your prayers filled with bold requests? Are you asking God to work on your behalf and the behalf of others that are struggling? If so, keep doing it. Don't stop. Just because you prayed a prayer once doesn't mean you should end there. No, keep going. Even if it feels redundant. And if you aren't praying prayers of bold requests, then start. Trust me, it will do your soul a world of good. So we've seen that lament involves turning, complaining, asking, and now lastly, trusting. Trusting God no matter what. David closes this short psalm of lament with these words. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That conjunction but there is a massive turning point for David. He has turned to God. He's poured out his raw emotion. He's asked God to consider his request. And now he shows us his hope. Notice that his grief isn't gone. His situation hasn't gotten any better. In fact, he's still in it. Yet he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. You see, David's source of hope is not his situation. It's not his circumstances or the hope that they'll get better. No. His hope is in the character of God. He knows his God well. The word steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed. It refers to God's covenant faithfulness and his mercy. In Exodus 34, 6 through 7, God reveals himself to Moses and proclaims his name, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that hesed love. And keeping steadfast love, there it is again, for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And sin. Sally Lloyd-Jones in her book, The Jesus Storybook Bible, which is what we give to each child at his or her baptism, puts it this way when talking about God's love. She says that it's God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Friends, that's the foundation of David's hope. And that must be the foundation of your hope and my hope. Circumstances will change. People will fail us. Trials will continue. Time doesn't necessarily heal all wounds. 
But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes, and He is a God of love and mercy and grace. In Lamentations 3, we find an intense lament about the suffering in life. The author spends 20 verses basically railing against God for what He's done, what He's allowed to happen. And then we read these famous words starting in Lamentations 3.21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. Like the author of Lamentations, David has to remind himself of who God is. He had this hope because he knew his God. How well do you know your God? Are you daily seeking to know him more? Or have you believed the lie that enough is enough, that you've got what it takes and you're good? Don't settle for just a little bit of understanding. No, seek to know him more. You're looking for resources. There's so many. I'd recommend two. One is a short little book, The Attributes of God by A.W. Pink. Pretty easy read, and a one that's a little bit longer, a little bit harder, is Knowing God by J.I. Packer. If you're looking for something to read in the new year, I'd recommend those two books to you. As we get ready to start a new year, commit to knowing God more. And let that knowledge translate into greater love for Him and deeper faith as you know the God of the Bible would impact how you live. I had someone once tell me that one of the main roles of a pastor is to help prepare people to die well. I think there's an element of truth to that. You may be thinking, well, I hope I'm not anywhere near death. Well, we don't know what tomorrow holds. But I think another part of what a pastor does is help people prepare to suffer. Because we're all going to face trials. And that's what we see here. And if we know our God well, when the storms come, our faith it may be shaken, but it's not going to wash away. Look with me at verse 6. David closes, I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. How in the world can David sing? How can he say that the Lord has dealt bountifully with him? He's in the midst of one of the worst times in his life. David can do so because he's taken a step back. He's not just looking at the present circumstances of life, but rather seeing things as a whole. Sometimes we have blinders on that only really allow us to see what's happening right in front of us. And as a result, all we can see is the sorrow, the grief, the pain, the trials. But if we allow God by His Spirit to take those blinders away, to see the bigger picture, we can remember that God really is good. If you are in Christ and a child of God's, then you can say that God has dealt bountifully with you. And if you aren't in Christ, then come to Him. Don't wait another day. Surrender to Him. Trust Jesus as your Savior. Because even in the midst of trials of life, if you are in Christ, then you can say that the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. Friends, the whole reason we can trust God and then we can lament. It's because we know that this life is not all there is. 
Our suffering will one day end. One day Christ will return, and when he does, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. That's what John tells us in Revelation 21. As we close, remember that lament is vital in the midst of grief. Lament involves turning, complaining, asking, and trusting. Ask God to help you lament. This year has been hard. There have been so many awful tragedies. Lament is what we need. Pray laments because that's what your Savior did. Jesus on the cross cried out from the lament of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, Christ knows what it's like to suffer and to grieve. His sorrow gives voice to ours. After all, as Isaiah tells us in his 53rd chapter, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And so we too can lament. One thing I'd encourage you to do is to take this psalm and to personalize it. To pray it about your circumstances. I've done that for the life of our church this year. And so that's what I'm going to close with. Perhaps these words will resonate with you and help you to personalize this song. How long, O Lord, will you allow pain and sorrow forever? How long will murder haunt our church? How long will spinal cord injuries remain? How long will we bury loved ones lost from COVID and other diseases? How long will members hear the words, you have cancer? How long will infertility plague our parents? And will parents grieve over miscarriages? How long will our children and grandchildren wander from you, the fountain of living water? Consider and hear our cries, O Lord, comfort and support us all the day long. Arise, O Lord, and act. Remember your covenant. Keep your promises. For we have trusted in your steadfast love. We rest knowing that you who did not spare your own son but gave him up will graciously give us all things. We will sing your praises for your mercies are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. Perhaps that prayer helps personalize Psalm 13 for you. Write your own version and pray it. It's good for your soul. It's hard, but it's good. Let us pray.